How do in the world do you follow that, right? <laughs> so something you guys don't know about me, because you don't know hardly anything about me, you just met me like two seconds ago, um, is that I get to make movies. It's, it's a cool thing. I've, got, I've been able to make three full-length feature movies. You can see them, like where you stream movies, all that good stuff. That's my background. My background's in learning how to make films and all that. And God led me down a path to ministry. Um, so I get to kind of marry those together now, which is super exciting. But tonight, what I'd like to do is something a little bit different with you guys than maybe you're used to hearing. Unless you guys make movies as well, you probably haven't studied a whole lot about screenwriting. So what I'd like to do tonight is I'd like to teach you how to write a screenplay. And we're going to do that with the story of Peter. Peter is a, one of the disciples that I most relate to. I think he's probably one of the most relatable disciples in general. So I think it'd be a pretty good movie if we wrote about Peter. What do you guys think? All right, so here, I'm, I'm gonna teach you how to do this based on a book called Save the Cat. Everybody say, Save the Cat. Save the Cat. I have no idea why they titled it Save the Cat. The whole thing makes no sense to me at all, but it's like the book that people learn how to write screenplays with, and it teaches you how to write towards things called beats. Everybody say beats. Now, beats aren't like what the drummer was doing up here, and it's not like the thing that you eat. It's, it's a thing that you write towards, like a plot point in the script. So Save the Cat literally will tell you, all right, you got nine pages, and then you're at the next beat. And then that beat, you're supposed to do this, and you got 20 pages to do that until you're to the next beat. So tonight, we're going to learn 11 beats from Save the Cat, and I think through this, I think through this movie we're going to craft together, uh, through the story that God wrote a couple thousand years ago, through this redemption arc, I think that hopefully the Holy Spirit will allow us to have a deeper revelation of Jesus through this experience. You guys with me? Okay, good, because I have a microphone, so I'm going to keep talking regardless if you're with me or not. The first beat tonight is something called the opening image. Picture it. We fade in. We see this, this young strapping fisherman fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Can you guys see it? All right, it's Peter. It's the hero. Like on the cover, he's like, Peter. That's the movie we're writing. So we got to show him right off the bat. Now, back in the day, the fishermen, they, they were not known for like being the most respected people. Like, in fact, a lot of times they had the filthiest language, like, they were always involved in the scrappiness and like in, in the, the lower ranks of society. So Peter's a little bit of a ruffian, all right? Now, the next character we want to introduce in our opening beat, in our opening scene, is very much the opposite of Peter. Can you guys picture the camera swings over and we see this young, up-and-coming religious leader named Jesus? I saw some of y'all, you're like, he's from the Bible, I know him. So we got these two opening characters, like every good movie, you got to put these two characters out in front of people right off the bat so people know who the movie's about. But that leads us to our next beat, which is called the setup. We don't spend a whole lot of time on the opening image because we want to get to the setup. Like at some point, the two main characters have to meet each other. Otherwise, that's a weird movie. It's going to last like five minutes and ain't nobody going to watch that. So here, I'm going to talk about three times real fast from the Bible that our two main characters meet. I think we can probably put all three of those times into our movie script. And it's, it's, it's pretty interesting if, if you think through like the timelines of what's happening with the gospels and when the gospels were written, I think there's three distinct times that Peter actually meets Jesus. 
Like the way it's written, I don't think that it's three people telling the same story. I think he actually meets Jesus three times. So let's, let's explore that a little bit tonight. The first time he meets him is in John chapter one. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now listen, sometimes he's called Simon. Sometimes he's called Peter. It's super confusing. You'll catch on though. We're gonna say his name enough. It's gonna be like secondhand by the end of this. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, that's Peter, and tell him, we found the Messiah, that's the Christ. So he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So I think that's the first time that these two characters interact. Andrew goes and gets Peter, right? The next time is in Matthew chapter four. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll teach you how to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. So the second time, Peter at least makes some kind of effort to go and see what this Jesus guy is all about, right? Let's get to the third one though, because this is probably the most interesting of all of them. It's in the gospel of Luke. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Remember, what's Peter? He's a fisherman, right? So he's always out fishing, always out at the sea. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to push him out a little bit to the shore. Then he sat down and taught people from the boat. So at this point, Peter's letting Jesus teach people from his boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put it out in the deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let it down. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled their boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Okay, first of all, that's a weird response to what just happened. Like, think, just put this in the context of what's happened here. You got this carpenter from Nazareth who said, he's seen Peter a couple times, right? So he sees him out on his boat and he's like, Peter, I know who you are. Can I use your boat to teach these people? And Peter's like, okay, all right. Didn't follow you the first two times, but okay. And then Jesus makes a fisherman piece of advice to Peter. Can you imagine the insult that that would be? That'd be like me going up to like any other profession that I am not and telling them how to do their job. He's like, okay, Jesus, you're a carpenter, but I mean, I'll try. We haven't caught anything. And then all of a sudden he casts to the other side of the net and there's fish everywhere. So naturally, what does Peter say? Flee from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. <laughs> There's a one in a million chance that I would say that, and it probably would still not happen. It's a weird thing to say, but we can learn some character development for our script about Peter in this scenario. See, Peter is a guy of threes. You'll see it throughout his story. It kind of takes like three times most of the time for him to really get something. Like he, he saw Jesus the first time. I'm not sure he fully followed him. 
Second time, we see that they dropped their nets and went to him, but I'm not sure he kept following him until the third time when Peter admits, I'm a sinful man. He's saying, I shouldn't even be in your presence, Jesus. He knows there's something special about this Jesus character that we're introducing, which leads us to the next beat, which is the catalyst. The third beat is the catalyst. This is the beat where Peter drops everything and decides I'm gonna follow Jesus. You know, it's interesting because we don't get a lot of backstory about the disciples. We don't know a whole lot about their family life. The gospels don't tell us a whole lot, but what we do know about Peter, which is unique to most of them, is that he has a wife. So by dropping everything and following Jesus for multiple years, that means he's giving up the comfort of his family life. Can you guys put yourself in that scenario? Like if you were at your place of employment tomorrow, Jesus shows up, does this miraculous thing, says, follow me. Would you go home and have to talk it over or would you say, okay? Because in this scenario, Peter said, okay. It's the third time, Jesus, okay. Which leads us to our next beat. This one's awesome, y'all. This is like cue, eye of the tiger. Rocky's about to run up them steps because this is the beat called fun and games. You guys have seen movies before. You know what I'm talking about. This is like where all the action happens and man, throughout the gospel, there's some seriously awesome action that we could put in this script. Like all the disciples are out with Jesus. Peter's like leading the pack. He becomes one of the inner circle real fast and homeboy jumps out of a boat and walks on water. It was awesome. And then like in Peter fashion, as we're gonna kind of develop through our script, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he sinks. And then some more fun and games happen. Like like the inner three, like Peter, James, and John, they get to go up on this mountain with Jesus and Jesus shows all of his glory to them. It's amazing. They're in awe, they're worshiping and they come down off the mountain. And what does our beloved Peter do? He's like, dude, that was super cool. But like, tell us right now, which one of us disciples is the best? <laughs> yeah, Jesus, this is my script. And then let's, let's look at one more example of this. Uh, this, is, this is a pretty big one. Comes from the gospel of Matthew as well. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Who do, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah, one of those prophets. So like right here in our script, wouldn't it be awesome if we like inserted a flashback? Like who do they they say I am? Well, some say John the Baptist, boom, flashback, John the Baptist. Well, others say you're Jeremiah, boom, flashback, Old Testament prophet. It's going to be awesome. And then Jesus turns the tables and the audience is like, what? He said, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? What about you? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Don't you know that like in in the script, like in the movie, if you're watching this play out, knowing Peter, as soon as he steps up to answer this, all the other disciples are like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And as soon as he says, you're the son of the living God, they're like, whoo, dodged a bullet on that one. Good job, Peter. First time, right? Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father in heaven, I tell you, you are Peter. 
And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anybody about the conversation that they just had. Peter finally gets one right here. Peter steps up and he, he, he says, you're the one that they promised us. Like you're the one that, that they've been talking about for hundreds of years. You're the one that's gonna come and you're gonna save us all. And Jesus says, you're right, Peter. You're right. And it gets better. You're not gonna understand it yet, Peter. You don't get it yet. But one day on the statement that you just made, I'm gonna build a church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. And Peter, guess what? You're not, you're not gonna get it yet, Peter. This is foreshadowing. It's good script writing. I'm gonna give you the keys to the kingdom. You're gonna be the one that gets to unlock the gates, Peter. Which leads us to our next beat. We're out of the fun and games portion and we get to the midpoint of our script. Everything we've talked about so far is the A portion of the script. There's three acts in the script, A, B, and C. We're gonna move into the B act, which is where all the conflict and the tension happens. Because at the midpoint, Jesus invites his best friends who have been following him around for the last couple of years up into this upper room and he sits them down at this table. And he says, guys, I got some news for you. I'm gonna go someplace soon and you're not gonna be able to go there with me. And Peter, you know, you know Peter, like he's stepping up like the hero stands again saying like, I'll go with you, Lord. And Jesus says, sit down, Peter, come on now. You can't go where I'm going. And, and, and in fact, this, this bread and this, this, uh, this wine that you're, you're eating and drinking, that's, that's actually, that's my body and my blood that's gonna be broken and shed for you. It's like a weird thing to say. Like put yourself in that room. They don't get it yet. Peter steps up once again, right? He's like, no, I will go with you, Lord. And Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Peter, you won't. In, in fact, in fact, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times before the rooster crows. Peter says, no, I would never. I would never do that to you, Lord. Which leads me to my next beat, which is when the bad guys close in. Tensions are raising in our script and the audience is leaning in as Jesus takes his best friends, his disciples up to this garden. He says, I'm gonna pray, you guys keep watch. And that same Peter who was like, I will go with you, Lord. What's he do? He falls asleep. I'll go with you, Lord, after I take a nap. Like, come on, Peter. And this, this, uh, this group of soldiers comes up and they arrest Jesus because we find out in this turn of events that one of Jesus' disciples, Judas, had betrayed him. And right now would be a really good time to insert a couple more flashbacks. See, what I didn't mention is that throughout the time that Peter was following Jesus with all of these disciples, Jesus kept alluding to the fact that this would happen. He kept alluding to the fact that one day he was no longer going to be here, but he also said, I'm gonna die, but guess what? I'm going to resurrect. So then we come back to present time. We get these soldiers surrounding Jesus and his disciples. And in a heroic moment, Peter pulls out a sword and he chops off the ear of a soldier. Yeah. It's like straight Rambo right there, y'all. And Jesus says, Peter, you still don't get it, man. 
You still don't get it. You've been following me for years. And how, how, many, times, how many times have I told you we're going to love our enemies? How many, how many times have I, have I said things like love somebody else above yourself? Peter, you still don't get it. You're going to one day. You're going to. You don't get it yet. And he picks up the ear and he puts it back on the soldier and he heals him. And it leads us to our next beat, which is Jesus being put up to trial. And it's not even a fair trial. The odds are stacked. The odds are stacked in that same Peter who said, I would follow you anywhere, Lord. I'm not going anywhere. Where is he? He's nowhere to be found. He's hiding, but he's hiding at a distance that's close enough to still see what's happening. And when people spot him, he denies Jesus three times. They're like, hey, aren't you the, the fisherman that always is with this Jesus guy? And he says, no, I don't know him. Well, weren't you at the garden with him? No, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. Three times this same hero, Peter, denies his very best friend and Lord. The gospel writer of Mark makes it a point to let the audience know that Peter is able to look at Jesus' face. Let that sink in for a minute. Let that sink in if your best friend was being whipped and beaten and unfairly tried and you were close enough to look him dead in the eye and you still deny that you even know him. What's interesting about the gospel of Mark is a lot of historians believe it's actually a biography of Peter. Like it's Peter's version of what happened. And so I think personally that Peter decided to include that because when he closes his eyes, what do you think he sees? He sees the face of a man that he just betrayed. Which leads me to my next beat, which is the dark night of the soul. We got a glimpse of what it could have been like for Peter with that video that we just saw. We're in the middle of the night. This man is sitting with the biggest failure in his entire life. What do you think was going through his mind? Weeping, depression, loneliness, hopelessness. There's a, there's a legend that every time the rooster crowed for the rest of Peter's life, he would weep. This was extreme, absolute brokenness for the main character of this story we are writing which leads to the next beat. The next beat is called the break. See, all was lost, but then obviously there's a break. Otherwise, this would be like the worst script of all time. Remember when Jesus was saying like, hey, I'm gonna go away for a while, but don't worry, I'll be back. Remember when he said like, hey, they're gonna kill me, but I'll be back. Guess what happened? He did, he did it. Like he predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection and made it happen. What an amazing story. Roll the credits. <laughs> Great movie. Now, it's a pretty not diverse movie at this point. It's like just a bunch of dudes. It's like watching testosterone on film. So let's insert some women into the story, right? Because they send some women to the tomb. They're going to like 
prepare Jesus' body and then make sure he's not smelling all bad and, and like put some new things down at the tomb. And they get there and there's a big angel there. And he says, hey, the guy you're looking for, Jesus, he did what he said he was going to do. He's not here anymore. And here's the best part. You ready? This angel tells the women to go, tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is alive. Go tell the disciples and who? Peter, that Jesus is alive. If that's not one of the most powerful phrases in the entire gospel story, I don't know what is. Go tell the disciples and the one that screwed up the most. Go tell that guy Jesus is alive. So the the, the women go and they find Peter and they tell him. And Peter, I'm sure if, if he's anything like me, he's like, I gotta believe, I'm gonna believe it when I see it, you know? Like, I don't know, guys. And besides, even if he was alive, why would he want anything to do with me? Which leads to the next beat. The next beat is the finale. This is where we're gonna finish the story. We kind of start it, good cinematography, like we opened up the, the, the movie. We got this young fisherman, Peter. He's out on a boat. Some of his friends are out there with him. And on the shore, there's a man there that says, hey, try to cast your net to the other side. You guys remember that from earlier in the story? See, this time it doesn't take Peter three times because one time he realizes it's the Lord and he jumps out of his boat and he goes and he gets to have breakfast on the seashore with a dead man. Anybody else ever had breakfast with somebody that resurrected from the dead? No, I'm just checking to make sure that like, what I'm about to say is accurate. The dude gets to have breakfast with a man who was once dead and is now alive. And in this conversation, we have this incredibly powerful exchange. But can you imagine what is going through Peter's mind here? You think he tried to play it off? Like, hey, you remember way back when, when you said I would deny you? Well, it happened, but sorry. Or do you think that he is distraught to a point that he has no words? Jesus looks at him and says, do you love me? Peter said, yeah, Lord, I love you. I've spent the last three years with you. I haven't seen my wife in three years. <laughs> Actually, that might not be true. He may have seen his wife. I don't know. It's a good story, though, if we put it in there. Jesus says, no, do you love me? And at this point, I'm imagining that Peter's breaking a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, I do, I love you. No, Peter, for, this is the third time I'm gonna ask you. Do you love me? Three times you denied me. It took you three times to follow me. I'm gonna ask you for a third time, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Can you see a broken Peter saying, Jesus, I love you. Despite what I did, I love you. Jesus says, all right, then go feed my sheep. Now to someone like me, who's not a farmer or know a whole lot about sheep, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But in that culture, Jesus said things a lot like, I'm the good shepherd. And he made a lot of references to his people being uh, like sheep. And he's the shepherd. Peter would have immediately got it. This is really good screenwriting 
I think God might know what he's doing. Because remember when Jesus said, Peter, I'm, I'm going to give you the keys, Peter, to the kingdom? Remember that? Yeah, you're right, Peter. I'm going to build my church on what you just said. And I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Right now, in this moment, Jesus is saying, if you love me, go feed my sheep. Go help me build my church. Here's the keys, Peter. Which leads us to our last beat. This final image. This final image of our hero of the story, the main character, Peter, after Jesus goes up to heaven, he stands up in front of a bunch of people on this day called Pentecost. And on that day, Peter, which translates to Petros in Greek, which means rock, he went from being denier of Jesus to a rock that day, y'all. Because the phrase that Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom and you get to unlock the gate and I'm going to build my church so strong that the gates of hell will not overcome it. Peter stood up and he gave that good news to people that day and 3,000 people got to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior that day. And that was the start of the church. So roll the credits, right? That's a great story. It's an amazing story that God wrote, a story of redemption. I'd watch that movie. I would love to watch that movie. And I think the reason is because I relate so much to the story. Does anybody else relate to Peter? We're gonna wrap this thing up here in just a second, but I wanna give you three takeaways that we can learn from the script that we just wrote, God's story, right, that we're getting to tell. Here's three takeaways. Number one, failure is an event, but we want to make it a destiny. Failure doesn't mean that you've blown everything. Just means you have some hard lessons to learn. See, it doesn't mean that you're a permanent loser. It means that you aren't as smart as you thought that you were, and Jesus wants to teach you. Failure doesn't mean that you should give up. It means that the Lord wants to show you the next step. Failure doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It means that God has a better plan for you. Second takeaway, Jesus sent for Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Peter may have failed in the upper room, but Jesus still sent for him. Peter, uh, Peter might have failed with the, the soldier in the garden by cutting his ear off, but Jesus still sent for him. Peter might have failed in the courtyard when he looked his Lord and Savior dead in the eye and then denied him three times. But Jesus did what? Sent for him. And finally, a third takeaway is that Jesus used Peter and he can use us too. From beginning to end, Jesus believed in Peter more than Peter believed in Peter. That's how it is for all of us. See, we relate to Peter so much because every day we wake up and we look in the mirror in the bathroom and who do we see looking back at us? Peter. Man, you know what? You might have slipped up this week and had one too many. Jesus is still gonna sin for you. 
Maybe you might have messed up and looked at an image that is failing your marriage, but Jesus is still going to sin for you. Peter, I'm gonna give you the keys. It's the keys to this gate that opens up the kingdom. And I'm gonna use the idea that I am the Lord, the statement that you just made, I'm gonna use that to build a church. See our king, our leader of this big church, he builds that church with broken, failed people. He builds his church with the people that have screwed up one week and that he sends for the next week. And then he emboldens them with his Holy Spirit to continue to build the church together so strong that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Friends, he wants you to be a part of that building of his church. No matter what you've done this week, last week, last month, last year, 10 years ago, Jesus is sending for you. I found a quote while I was studying for this message. It says, God is able to forget our past, so why can't we? He throws our sins into the depths of the sea and it's like he puts up a sign that says, no more fishing, which I thought was pretty apt for Peter's story. We started out with this opening image of the screenplay, this idea that we were writing a screenplay. And we said the hero is Peter, the hero stands, but guess what? This isn't an action movie where the hero is the guy on the poster. This is a story of redemption and the hero of all of our stories is Jesus Christ. The hero of every redemption story is Jesus. So for a moment with me, imagine you're sitting on the beach eating breakfast with a dead man. Imagine you're looking Jesus right in the eye and you're thinking through every failure that you have experienced over your lifetime. Every time you failed him, every time you failed your kids, every time you failed your spouse, every failure that you have. And Jesus looks you in the face and says, do you love me? No, I know what you did. Oh, I know, I know. See, remember I got up on a cross and I paid for that. I know what you did, but do you love me? Do you love me? So I'm building a church. I'm building a, a family of people who love me that follow me and I'd love for you to be a part of it. And there's nothing to fear in being a part of it. No failure can stand to get it. In fact, the gates of Hades can't even stand against it. Come on, be a part of it. Do you love me? Friends, I can't help but think that somebody in this room tonight can really relate to Peter. That somebody in this room tonight walked in here feeling the weight of years and years of failure, years and years of letting Jesus down, of letting your family down, letting your friends down. I want to tell you tonight that the Savior wants you to be a part of His church tonight. Do you love Him? We're going to do something I think that's pretty uh, unique, uh, at least for a guest speaker to do this. <laughs> But tonight, what we're gonna do is if, if that's you, like if you walked in this room and failure has a grip on you and you want to allow Jesus to rewrite your story, we're gonna give you an opportunity to do that. We're gonna sing a song and we're gonna have some pastors down front. And I challenge you to boldly say, I'm not gonna be a failure anymore when I leave this place tonight. I'm gonna be a child of God, a member of this church that is so strong that is so loved, 
that is so forgiven and so redeemed. And then tonight, we're gonna challenge you to be baptized. And you, you might be looking at me thinking, well, I can't get baptized in the stuff that I'm wearing. This is like, this is nice stuff. It's not, it's like from Walmart. They got stuff in the back. They've got everything you could possibly need. They have shorts, they have shirts, all of that. Tonight, friends, ends the thought of you being a failure and begins the thought of you being a child of the risen Jesus, the hero of your story. That's tonight. Don't leave if that's you. I'm gonna pray the band is going to sing and we're gonna be up front for anybody that would like to make that decision tonight. Lord, you are good. Lord, we are thankful that, uh, that you rewrite stories. We're thankful that the narrative in our heads or it's not always the narrative in your plan, Lord. We're thankful for Jesus and the redemption that he offers us. And we're thankful that you sent him that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for our sins. Father, in this moment, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come into this room and it would nudge hearts to make a decision to give their life to the only Savior, the only King. It's in his name we pray, amen.